15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, it's Matthew Ryan Cronin's birthday if you want to do a shout out. Oh, yeah. Happy birthday, Matthew Ryan Cronin. Long time listener. Mm-hmm. Good man. I can't tell if the yep. show has begun. Happy birthday. Are we just practicing that? Or is this, are we doing this? Is this happening right now? It's happened. You think of Earth as a singular planet. In fact, it is anything but. But this is a story not of a universe, but a multiverse. Where universes and planets, such as Earth, were replicated and mirrored across a vibrating, infinite plane. Some barely different from the next. Others drastically so. This is DC On Screen. Every week, Dave and Jason talk about the multiverse of DC properties on film and television. But be warned, if it's been officially released, you can expect they'll spoil it. Welcome into DC On Screen, episode 442. I'm your host, David C. Robertson. This is my co-host, Jason Goss. Yeah, I'm just catching up, guys. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's happening anymore. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. So before we start, uh, hopefully what will be a f- mostly fun episode, we do have some crappy news. But um, I, I would like to um, remind you that if you like the show, you love us, you, you want to keep hearing us do this, and you want to help support us, uh, go over to iTunes and leave us a, uh, a positive review. Uh, that does help helps. us a lot. Always helps. Sure it is. And, um, uh, if you want to leave us a voicemail, which we didn't get any voicemails this week, but, um, if you want to, 205-259-6331, we'll play them on the show. Um, so, starting off, right out of the gate, uh... Ever since the Harvey Weinstein stuff happened, bit of a bunch of allegations and stuff coming out, a lot of people uh, finally getting the courage to to come out and uh, you know name the uh, their aggressors, mm-hmm. the uh, people in power who have uh, used that power well in in a way that I I will describe here as janky. Mm. Sinister is probably a more uh, a more appropriate term. It seems to be it seems to range between the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Brett Ratner has uh has been called out by several people and uh this is the guy that formed the company Rat Pack um and since 2013 uh Rat Pack has been financing a bunch of Warner Brothers movies like about 25% of their movies uh and uh, Lego Movie Gravity uh you know Batman v Superman was part of this Suicide Squad uh Lego Batman movie Justice League uh Wonder Woman whole bunch of different types of a whole bunch of different kinds of movies and um warner brothers has uh cut them off now Mm -hmm. and they'll be fine warners will be fine um in general uh, warner brothers is not at risk mm -hmm. and uh you know i didn't write it down i guess i'm a a shitty host but patty jenkins (laughs) had uh had uh spoken well of brett ratner she had uh awarded him something i i don't remember but <laughs> she she came out and said, I am extremely distressed to read these terrible allegations against Brett Ratner. 
When I spoke of Brett, I spoke of my own experiences with him, which were not these at all. I've never witnessed nor been aware of anything that is now being described. To be very clear, I am definitely not okay with this kind of behavior. Sexual harassment and assault are never okay, and I stand with and defend all of the men and women who are revealing these horrific encounters all over this industry and this world. I hope their disclosures bring about real change for all of us, and I am deeply, bleh, deeply grateful to them for their ba- <laughs> bravery. Um... Now, a reporter from Fox 5, you know, I'm sure you know this guy. This is the guy that, like, wears the BVS socks and just geeks the hell out whenever he talks to any of these people. Um, mm, I'd still have to see him, but... Ah, um, he's a reporter from Fox 5 in Washington, and um, he brought up, he was talking to Ben Affleck, uh, Ray Fisher, and Jason Momoa, and he was, he... Uh, brought up Kevin Smith's decision to donate all, donate all of his Weinstein residuals to charity. He brought that up to Affleck, and Affleck said, uh, you know, oh yeah, it's funny you mentioned it, I, uh, I decided to do the same. He says, once Kevin suggested that I, uh, once Kevin suggested that I decided to do the same thing, so I'm giving any further residuals I get from either a Miramax or a Weinstein movie, uh, will go to, uh, Fi or Rain, one is film independent and the other is a women's organization. I just didn't want to cash in, uh, sorry, cash any more checks from the guy, you know. I don't usually bring it up. It was Kevin's idea. I thought it was a good one and I hope it catches on. Some people probably couldn't afford to give all those residuals away, but even if you're doing 10%, that's something. And um, and then the reporter asked uh, Ray and Jason how they can, how we can like, correct the culture. And Ray Fisher says, I think we can keep talking about it. We can keep talking about it, uh, keep making it known. People keep speaking up. Obviously, this is a problem that extends beyond just the film industry. This is a problem at large in the world, and we need to encourage people to stand up and be willing to speak about it, male, female, whatever. We also have instances, I remember Terry Crews coming out saying that he was sexually harassed, being who he is. It extends further beyond just this specific place. We need to keep talking about it and keep encouraging other people to do the same. So uh, yeah, I, I I agree with all that. That's that's good stuff. Yeah, we that's need to actually keep talking about it. That's pretty well summed up. Is like as long as it's part of the dialogue. Yeah, gives a gives everyone the best opportunity to speak up. What's kind of interesting to me is a lot of people that are talking about it keep kind of mentioning it as if like someone secretly put those people in power. Like oh yeah, they put these predators in power. Eh, power corrupts. I think it's probably more more or less the opposite. But uh, I'd put it on a spectrum. Um, hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd say it's probably a, a mix and match. Well, I mean, yeah, sure. There's there's got to be a, a, a mix to it, but I don't know. I think uh, I think power does tend to corrupt. You know, as the old saying goes, it's an old saying for a reason. Because someone thought it up a long time ago. Yes, not because it's still a great <laughs> idea or that it still holds some merit. It's old rhetorically, meaning that it's old. No. All right, so this this next bit isn't necessarily um, now people are getting mad about it and being like it's a monopoly. Shut up, hold on. This doesn't necessarily affect DC uh, or Warner Brothers. I mean, it does, but it's not really news for them. I'm excited about it nonetheless. I think it's really awesome. Uh, Disney is apparently reportedly in talks to buy Fox. <laughs> so I've heard. Everything but like the news and sports divisions, which is just fine by me. Get that Fantastic Four need... next men back in there. Yeah, they don't need a <laughs> news or they've. I mean, they already own ESPN and all of its accompanying networks. Not to mention ABC. So yeah. they've got news and sports covered. They they can keep their cute little news and sports section 
Yeah. Anyway. They can keep that crap. Yeah. I want the Fantastic Four and X-Men back. I know. I know what you got excited about. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. And also, this next bit. Um, I can, I can just which imagine, not, like, you know. two people talk. Like, over the conference room, they're just chatting about, like, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. But just for curiosity, how much would you give me for the sports section? And the guy laughs at him. He's like, I don't know. $250 million? <laughs> 200, 250 cents? Yes. I'll, I'll give you that. Uh-huh. Well, uh, so okay, they're on the uh, the whole press junket, you know, the the uh, the Justice League stars, mm-hmm. and um, they were basically asked if they would like to do a crossover with Marvel. Affleck says, "I don't own Marvel or DC, but I think it would be great. I'm sure if it could be successful for every for everybody, people would like to do it. I don't see why not. It's a great idea." Henry Cavill uh, says, "I think the rival rivalry lives in the fans more so than it does in us. For all of us who are making these movies, or I'm sure for the comic book artists and writers, there have been rivalries in the past, but now it's just about celebrating these characters. Certainly for us. I mean, I'm sure when it comes to deep finances, when it comes to DC and Marvel, there's always going to be competition, but they need each other to survive as well. If one goes down, that means superheroes aren't popular, and you don't want that because if one goes down, the other goes down." Well put. Um, yep. Ray Fisher says, I've been a huge DC fan since I was growing up. I had fan, uh, sorry, friends who were huge fans of Marvel. We'd always, well, Batman would always win. I'd always figure out a way for Batman to beat anybody, no matter what universe they were in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but he did, re- he, he referred to the, uh, to the differences of the companies. He says, it's like red and blue. It's literally down to what do you like? What are you into? I think to put it all together, you don't want to take this sort of homogenized sort of tone either. I would love to see some of these characters fight one another. That would be really awesome to see, but you also want to make sure that you maintain your own style and integrity. I don't know. It sounds like they're down, man. It sounds like they're down. Oh, yeah. Momoa says, I would love to be in a crossover. Hell yeah. I mean, like Hemsworth, I love him. It's like to be next to Thor or to be next to the Hulk. It's like, oh, I'm going to take you out in the water and drown your ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I and I think it's, it's great that the question is coming up more and that the, they all responded to it and responded positively to it. I, I think it would absolutely be amazing to see that. I want to see it. Yeah, I would. I like how some of them are like, well, if the numbers work, I mean, yeah, we can do it. Yeah, like was, I was like, especially like Affleck and, and Gavel who were like, well, the numbers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it often, I mean, <laughs> gotta talk to a few people before we get excited about it. Yeah, so, um, some people have gotten upset with Henry Cavill this week. That actually, sorry, that just that makes so much sense though. <laughs> it's like Ben Affleck and Gal Gadot are like, well, I mean, let's think about things. Let's, 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 we'll, we'll start some meetings, see how this goes. <laughs> you go to Jason Momoa, he's like, hell yeah. Oh, Cavill, sorry. You go to Jason Momoa, though, and, and Aquaman's attitude is like, Hell yeah, I'm going to drown Thor! <laughs> that is so fitting. Yeah. All right, sorry. Go ahead. So, yeah, uh, people were pissed off with Cavill, the, Henry Cavill. Uh, he said some interesting things. Um, might not be there yet, actually. Yeah, I'm not there yet. Um, he First, he was talking about Batman v Superman. And uh, this actually makes a lot a lot of sense to me. He says, uh, Henry Cavill said, I think it, uh, it was that movie uh, is part of an arc for what Zack's vision was or is. He was talking about BVS's divisiveness. And he says, uh, it's also in my mind fairly niche. Uh, it's a it's a niche style of mu- uh, movie between uh, within a genre and it reflects in the audience reviews and critic reviews. It's divisive. When anything is niche, it's going to be liked and loved by some and disliked by others. And that's the whole point of niche. 
I have never thought about it that way before. It almost is like Batman v Superman is kind of like, I don't know, a $300 million indie film. A little bit. And, um, like, I see because we were the, because we were the subset of people here and I'll, I'll admit probably subset. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure the numbers are not skewed in our favor, but because we're the kind of persons who enjoyed this, um, I think we've treated it a little bit like they're describing it now. We're like, I've, I don't, I can't count the number of times I've said I enjoyed it. I'm really from the depths of my heart sorry that you you didn't get to enjoy it too. Mm-hmm. Because that's how I felt leaving. It was like, ah, oh, I am, I am pleased, but I am probably not going to be the overwhelming voice right now. Yeah, I wanted. I, it was a different attitude entirely going into it, and uh, not my attitude, yeah. an attitude in the filmmaking going into it that I, I knew wasn't going to pay off for everyone. This is the first time I felt like we watched a comic book superhero version of a Noah Baumbach film starring Ben Stiller. <laughs> yeah, when you put it in that light, there's all kinds of comparisons <laughs> that make a lot more sense now, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, somebody actually asked me about that this week, and so like, didn't Superman come out and say he didn't like the film? And I said, look, okay, hold on. I read that quote. To me, it feels like the original tone is now past tense production wise. I think they've gotten to the point internally where, where they've gotten around to Kirk. Cause that feels really honest, doesn't it? That, that felt, yeah. that felt well, like I've, a, almost a little ballsy kind of honest. Yeah. Well, we haven't gotten to that, that quote yet. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I'll get to it. You should fill that out. Sorry. Yeah. I'll get to it in a second. We'll talk about it. <laughs> but, um, this thing dropped, uh, like a big old turd. Um, <laughs> A uh, an article from the Wall Street Journal by uh, Ben Fritz uh, titled "Can the Justice League Keep Up with Offbeat Superheroes?" Now, this article is positing that Justice League is now too mainstream. The DCEU is now too mainstream. Um, I'll read a little bit of this. Um, this is from his uh, his his article. <laughs> Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman joined forces to save the world in Justice League, but their long-awaited team-up may not be the automatic superhero movie triumph it once seemed. The November 17th release, which unites the well-known trio with big-screen newcomers Aquaman, Cyborg, and The Flash, has had perhaps the rockiest road to release of any big-budget movie this year. Now, you can start to see the bias pop up here. Uh, In the past 18 months, it has sustained a switch in directors and creative tinkering, before and after production to lighten the tone. Significant reshoots brought in <laughs> brought an already big budget up to nearly $300 million, said people close to the picture. Mm. Uh, Justice League is hitting theaters at a time when Hollywood is shifting from by-the-books portrayals of superhero stalwarts. The success of films like Logan, Warner's own Wonder Woman, and current box office juggernaut Thor Ragnarok indicate audiences are hungry for unique pictures about particular characters. Justice League does not fit that mold. (laughs) Supporters describe the movie as a crowd pleaser in which a few superheroes team up and beat the bad guys. I'm going to stop there. The rest of it pretty much reads like that. Like, it's now the... This guy is now shifting the conversation into a, oh, well, now they're too mainstream. Now they're too yeah. too much of a crowd pleaser. I was thinking that's got to be so frustrating if you're involved to sit there and read that kind right? of press. You got to be reading that thinking, oh god, I hope nobody else tries to make sense of that angle because it's just, man, that's taxing. Because uh, you get all this flack for mm-hmm. taking a different uh, taking a different tact, whereas like you were already in a bad position where you could either take another 
angle of approach to making uh-huh. these movies or copy Marvel and then be called a, mo- a, a, a ripoff. So uh-huh. you have to take another tack with it. And then you do it and you get all this crap for it. And now you're trying to, to rein it in a little bit to, to make it a little more, I don't know, congruous with... It's, it's not even congruent. Like, just feel a little more lighthearted. Admittedly, you're moving a little closer back to the Marvel side, right? And then, and then this is now the narrative someone's trying to to push on us is like, it, it's 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 not going to be kitsch enough. No one will mm-hmm. care about these. Nah, I can't. I can't even. <sighs> yeah. I can't even think about that for too long without getting a little depressed. Yep, it's pretty depressing. But um, hey. sounds like we need a pick me up. Yeah, Wonder Woman is now the highest-grossing superhero origin movie. <laughs> I was really hoping it was going to be an actual pick-me-up instead of... Sounds like we need a pick-me-up. Well, in other news, the head of Warner Brothers killed his dog. <laughs> no. Uh-oh. That's awful. Why would that be a It is awful. I just, I was just hoping you weren't just setting me up. But yeah, Wonder Woman, that's fantastic. No, no, no. I wasn't setting you up. I was clinched there uh, for a so, second. So, yeah, it's past uh, 2002's Spider-Man. Oh, good. Yep, Spider-Man held it for uh, 15 years. Nice. So that's kind of a big deal. That is a big deal, both for Spider-Man and Wonder mm-hmm. Woman. Both impressive. Yeah, absolutely. I also want to have, All right, I, so, like, how does that guy think Wonder Woman isn't, uh, uh, anyway, anyway I, I, don't even, I don't even want to argue with that guy. <laughs> yep. Not, not even internally. I'm going to forget he exists entirely. Yep, yep, probably the best thing to do. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so this enraged a bunch of people, and I thought it was awesome. Uh, I was like, <laughs> I don't know. I was really excited. We about this. we actually end up in that boat a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Danny Elfman was doing an interview with uh, Reporte Indigo, and I don't know the site, but uh, they were doing. He was doing a report, uh, uh, an interview with him, and uh, they asked him if they would uh, be hearing a new theme for Batman in the movie. Elfman said, no, you will not hear a new theme for Batman. You will hear Batman's theme for Batman. And the guy was like, oh, Hans Zimmer <laughs> from Dawn of Justice? And Elfman like chuckles and goes, no, you'll hear Batman's theme. <laughs> Batman ha- has only one theme. Uh, obviously talking about his own theme that he wrote for Batman in 89. Yeah. And now, now, now he did say. Now Hans has done some wonderful, very driving, rhythmic stuff, but there's only ever been one theme, and it's Batman's theme. Uh, a lot of people are having a have an issue with this. I don't, because you know, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people have said, well, you know, he's he's kind of shitting on Hans Zimmer. No, I don't think so. I don't think Hans Zimmer ever actually wrote a Batman theme. Um, I think he is actually just speaking. Uh, from a technical standpoint, I think he's just talking shop. Yeah, and uh, you know, even if we weren't, I, I can barely remember anything Hans Zimmer did for for Batman. Really, I, I don't remember that music necessarily in my head. I uh, when I think of Batman, I mean he he did for Superman, but I mm-hmm. and you know I I feel like a lot of the Wonder Woman bit is very Junky XL, but no, they actually there was somebody I can't remember who else did that. Uh, the Wonder Woman thing was written by someone else. No, I just mean uh, from BBS that da 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 da. da. It, I know. Is that really somebody else? I thought I could. I would have sworn that would be Junkie XL's handiwork. Um, it was. Uh, gosh, it may have been him. I don't know. Anyway, the point is, I it's, thought it was a cellist. 
some uh, I thought it was a lady cellist. Some lady. That's a very specific memory, name. which means you probably be right about it. But <laughs> yep. It. Uh, <laughs> In any case, the I mean, the point is, I just they had memorable, I mean, actual themes, actual themes you could point out. But if you if you tried to tell me what Batman's was right, and if you played it for me right now, I wouldn't be uh-huh. able to say yes. That's the thing that appeared on you know that that I heard you know when Batman came on screen. I don't know if I'd be able to do it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I know like when Batman's do, running around doing stuff when. In in the Nolan truly it's like dun but I don't consider yeah. that a Batman theme. That's just as he put it, like a very driving rhythmic thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he was throwing as much shade as people are maybe getting out of this. No, no, he doesn't even seem uh, necessarily very like egotistical as people have claimed. Like, well, it, it almost it seems... almost is in a way that's like he he seems to be talking about it in a way that's that's like i said shop talk that doesn't have any ego involved like i i watched the interview i don't i didn't see him yeah. you know get peaked at any point i didn't see him try to bow out and puff his chest over this at all it was just like no 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 i mean yeah come on i mean batman has one theme Wait, do, do and I... you know yes you can say that like i think actually uh scott over on squadcast made this point that i heard uh where he was talking about like oh the 66 batman theme more people know that one than the 89. Absolutely. But I don't think Danny, Elf- Danny Elfman watches TV. <laughs> I don't think he's familiar. <laughs> I, yeah, he did the Flash theme for the 80s, but I don't I don't think he really <laughs> cared. Like, I, I mean, I would love to hear that theme in the movie, mm-hmm. like I've said before, but I don't think he's sitting around going like, oh, yeah, there was that one from the 60s, and, you know, there was Shirley Walker's thing in the animated series, which they usurped and put my stuff, my theme in. Oh, wait, because it's the Batman theme. Right. I'm good. Yeah. I'm good with it. I, I don't I'm think good it's, with Elfman. I don't think it's as provocative as uh, the news might have seemed. Yeah. I mean, shit, dude. Even if uh, John Williams popped up and was like, hey, I'm the only person who ever wrote a Superman theme, I think Hans Zimmer would be like, yeah, he's right. No, I mean, even even in that case, I'd still say you have the Man of Steel theme and you have that to play with. But mm-hmm. to say that, like, the big screen has only ever really seen the one is, uh, that tracks. Yeah. That tracks with me. I can deal with it. Yeah. I mean, I just, I took Elfman to be talking about film and I think he's absolutely right about that, though. Yeah. I mean, let's put anyway. it this way. Which other film score made it into one of the most beloved properties kind of ever? In the superhero, like, it, come on, we had it, we had it crossover in animation too. It's, it's the only yeah. accepted version of hearing. Anyway, I think we yeah. all agree here. Is my point? I mean, the only one that I think of off the top of my head is John Williams' Superman score wound up in Seinfeld a few times <laughs> 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 because Jerry's a huge Seinfeld, uh, a huge Superman fan. So every time Jerry does anything heroic, you know, they kind of want to play with that. Dun, dun. Yeah, there's only a couple episodes, but yeah. Anyway. Moving on, uh, sort of moving on. They did release the the uh, song list for the full soundtrack of Justice League. I'm not going to get into all of the track listing names because they're kind of spoilery. Uh, yeah, I avoid those. I w- yeah, I will say that. I mean, it's not really that spoilery. It's just kind of like let's just say I know the plot. Yeah, I can piece together things now. But uh, you know, score was composed by Danny Elfman. It also has uh, come together by uh, Gary Clark Jr. Oh, that was good. That Beatles cover. Uh, the um, Icky Thump by the White Stripes and Everybody Knows by uh, Sigrid, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I don't know that last one. Mm, and uh, the soundtrack releases on the 10th of November, so just a couple of days from now. It'll be out in the world, and uh, I'll probably get it, because I'm sad and have to. Um, yeah. Well, we all have now, our this is the this is the big controversy that everyone was talking about with Cavill, though. Uh, he was talking to a website called The Rake, and uh, he was talking about some of the struggles with the DCEU. He said, even if Marvel didn't exist, we would struggle... There was a style they were going for, an attempt to be different and look at things from a slightly different perspective, which hasn't necessarily worked. And he's not saying that that's his personal viewpoint, as far as I'm seeing. It just says right there that, you know, critically, it did not work. Like, they're, it's pretty divisive. Um, he says, yes, it has, made men, it has made money, but it has not been a critical success. It hasn't given everything that sensation which superheroes should give the viewer. Again, just stating a fact. He says, I feel like now the right mistakes have been made and they haven't been pandered to, and we can start telling the stories in the way they need to be told. It is even better to come back from a mistake or stylistic error into the correct vein because it will make it seem that much stronger. Wonder Woman was the first step in that right direction. Now, I don't necessarily even agree with that. Um, That feels like, it kind of feels like a kid who has been like taken out of the corner and his teacher asked him, now, what did you do wrong? And he's trying to explain, like, okay, well, I mean, I shouldn't have, I mean, I guess I shouldn't have thrown the the gum in, in Becky's hair, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Um, and I think, really, what we're going to do is we're going to, like, try to keep the gum out of Becky's hair and stop throwing gum and things, all the other things, too, and things, mm-hmm. all that. And um, can I go have my snack now? Right. I would like a juice. <laughs> I feel like he was put on the spot a little bit, probably. Maybe, I but I, I do like how you responded to that. I, I, I do. There's a I, something. Do you have Do you have a related? Yeah, I'll tell you what. Give me Give me a second. And I'm gonna. I don't know because I don't know what you have on the agenda. I have something I want to say about, it, but I'll wait on you. No, go ahead. Well, because it involves something else that uh, Gal Gadot said, and I didn't. Okay. Know, I didn't know go, if you had that involved, or if you were going to talk about what she. And I forget the details, um, but I happened upon one of the quotes she had, and it it sounded very similar. So this is what I was mm-hmm. going to mention earlier, is it sounds like they've gotten to a point internally where they've gotten around the corner, and now we know we're changing what we're doing. Uh-huh. And it's given uh, the people involved a little bit of freedom to kind of talk about it. Uh-huh. Because that's the quote that I was going to say is, is uh, pretty honest. Yeah. Okay. It it feels a little more honest than normal. Like, you literally... Most of the time when you hear somebody talk about uh, a criticism of a thing they're involved with, they do close rank. Uh-huh. And this felt like it's not even a it's not a protest or anything, but it is a a slight departure from that. That he didn't exactly like uh, pull in, toe the line, hit rank and file, all that kind of crap. He he, he did actually offer an honest opinion. Yeah. And um, God, I kind of appreciated it. It was it was a little bit of a I don't know. It was refreshing. But to me, the to me, it indicates that the previous attitude in approaching these films, that indie attitude we were talking about before, may be. Uh-huh. Uh, not completely, but somewhat past tense. That they've decided there is definitely a direction change that is happening. We're not talking sea change, just an adjustment of course that yeah. uh, is at this point so uh, I don't know inundated into what they're doing that they're they're comfortable talking about it and having it sound like that. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm I'm of two minds about it. I kind of feel like part of me is just like, no, don't admit fault. But <laughs> 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 that's understandable uh, but you know i've had 
I have I've had my own issue. What's what's sickening to me is like even though I've had my own issues with this stuff, not all of those issues are things they're addressing. In some ways, they're going against what I want. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. So I don't know. You just have to wait. I guess I'll just have to wait and see. I I don't know. I uh, you know I don't I don't know. They're like oh you know the, a lot of audiences and critics were like oh well you know Eisenberg was awful. You know, he was he was the Riddler from forever or whatever. And I'm like, no, this is what an actual villain who has quirks and, you know, is fully fleshed out looks like. Is he the Lex I would have made for the movie? No. But it's more interesting than we've seen in most superhero movies. Yeah. It and was then, like, a the, completely the, different the, take, and it's believable if you actually, you know, think about it for a second. You don't even have to think about it. He lays out every reason that he's doing everything in the movie. Like, he's incredibly self-aware. Um, that is true. But, now, you know, is it convoluted? Con- sure. Sure it is. Absolutely. But did he have a reason? Yeah, he did. Was it maybe simple, uh, the most... Uh, really ph- philosophically sound reason, I would say. It was, yeah. Philosophically, I don't think he had any problems. Uh, in execution, there there may have been some things he could have probably tidied up. Yeah. But, you know. Maybe if Eisenberg had died, they would have said that it was genius like they did with Ledger, because that scheme wasn't exactly the most tidy either actually that's the thing Whatever. that I, I that's the thing that i would liken it to the most um i wasn't gonna mention it but now that you have yeah that's absolutely what i was thinking about um yeah is like ledger's schemes were no less convoluted <laughs> right. i mean he probably could have used a healthy shave from occam's razor both of them but they uh a little bit <laughs> i like that but no, I, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't mean to be macabre or anything, but, you know, it kind of feels like they, they, they gave a lot of leeway to the Dark Knight. They, well, they did. But and it, it's BBS for a lot of the same things. There are times they, where it feels you know, like... Lauded. Now, I don't, I, I don't think anyway. Eisenberg's performance was as groundbreaking as Ledger. Like, it, it, no. But, uh, like, I, I, I don't think... Well... I don't think the fact that it, his award was posthumous yeah. was the reason he got it. I think he would have deserved it anyway. Um, but I, you know what's sad, though, is that I think he deserved the award, but I think the reason he got it and, and that it's like the exception in award season for superhero movies is probably because uh-huh. he passed away. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And he was such a respected that, actor that like they I mean, wanted to give him something, and this was a great thing to give him. And he deserved it. I, I just, kinda, there's other people in superhero movies that have deserved that kind of accolades, but the, it's never. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't even talking about the the Academy Award. Uh, you know, just I feel like people are afraid to, you know, uh, really uh, lobby any any uh, criticism against the Dark Knight because, like, oh, well, I don't want to talk about Ledger. I don't want to speak. You know, and you're not talking. To, you're not speaking ill of Ledger. He, he was an actor who, who passed away tragically. He was a fantastic actor, but and he didn't, he didn't write the script. He's he's a, he's a hundred percent. There there's not a frame of that movie where I would fault him at all. It's just yeah, his story is pretty no. pretty damn convoluted too. So yeah, um, but anyway, anyway, uh, moving on. I, I don't know. I uh, I don't know what I was talking about to begin with. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> I've, uh, I've fallen out of step with myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, comicbook.com was uh, asking the Justice League stars about the difference between Snyder and Whedon as far as uh, the, the, their, uh, their directing styles and uh, asking about the transition. 
Um, Affleck said, people don't understand how much of the film is designed in pre. I found as a director, you can maybe change 10%, 15% on the day. We really had Zach's ship set sail for us. We were fortunate in that when Zach was unable to continue, we got a guy who, I got the sense that Joss was working from what he had discussed with Zach before he stepped in. And then Deborah Snyder was there. Uh, it was obviously married to Zach. Mm-hmm. And she said, for us, the whole thing is so bittersweet because we had been working on this franchise for the past almost eight years. And then we moved on to Batman v Superman and also Zack developed the story for Wonder Woman, which was leading up to the point of Justice League. Not being able to complete his vision was extremely difficult. That's pretty telling. That, But we'll go on. Yeah, well, that I makes mean, it hard, but we... Yeah, I mean, he had a, a very compelling reason not to be able to make it back to work. It's It's... Felt, yeah. yeah, I mean, you got to feel for him on well, a creator level. It's like that's uh, absolutely sucks all the way around. Absolutely, but you know, uh, I'm I'm saying that you know a lot of these a lot of the reports have been like, oh no, Zach's vision is completely you know intact. Um, See, so, yeah, uh, I'm just saying it from that viewpoint. Like, if Deborah has the has the notion that his vision wasn't complete. You know, you could take it in that vein as you, opposed you to could. just him not being able to be there. Yeah, uh, that's you what could I'm saying. Take it as a matter of execution or a matter of uh, change. Just him not being there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she said that makes it hard, but we were lucky that we had Joss already working on script pages. Our feeling is we hope people don't think about how the movie was made because these characters are bigger than any director. That's also kind of telling. But you know, I'm you know my sympathies are with with her insect. Sure. So. Um, and I'll say, you know, I'm in a strange position here because, you know, uh, a movie by Zack Snyder with touch-ups by Joss Whedon sounds like my dream thing, you know? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it sounds pretty fantastic. Like we, we, we like what Snyder's done in a lot of cases. I like where he comes out of the gate and then, mm-hmm. yeah, sure. There are some times where I kind of wish there was a little bit of reining it in. Well, a little bit about just a little bit of editing in general. But I like where he comes from. And then, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, if you told me, like, well, what if we could have Whedon sit down with this after after he finished principal photography and kind of take it from there? I, I would think, oh, my God, when did I die? Yeah. What happened? Was it painless? <laughs> so uh, producer Charles Roven added, it's been a great privilege and fun to work with Zach and Debbie and all of the actors in the various films. It's been actually, in a wonderful way, a great learning experience and great life experience. Not to have Zach there, to have Joss come in. He was already working with Zach. And we're just really happy with the movies and how great these characters uh, are and infused by his by this talent. Um, so, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's sort of... Um, it all kind of feels a little bit like uh, toe in the party line. A little bit. like See, that, yeah. That's a nice contrast of uh, like what Cavill said for me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yep, that sounds like a company line. That, that feels like someone got an email, a memorandum suggesting how they should probably answer still i yeah. i it, it comforts me to know in to know that uh zach and and joss were communicating before oh absolutely uh so it, it it just despite all the subtleties of who said what some of the semantics it just the narrative to me is a passing of the baton not in any way uh going away from like taking a what do they call it like fresh eyes or that's how hollywood describes it a lot of yeah. times we're gonna get some fresh eyes on this or um we're going to go in a different direction. It, it does not, to, the narrative to me is more like baton style. Yeah. Which is comforting. And I need to be comforted for another 11 days. <laughs> God, 11 days. Well, 10 days That's actually. Crazy. We're going to see it on, what? 
Yeah, yeah. we're going to see it on... That's crazy, man. Yeah. <sighs> all right, so... Uh, all right, then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know you don't care too much for uh, for Curb Your Enthusiasm and Larry David, but uh, they... Uh, <laughs> Justice League uh, and uh, HBO's Curb Your Enthusiasm put out this great teaser for, uh, for Curb, and... Um, you have this like you know very uh, trailery narrator talking about a world needs a hero and blah blah blah, mm-hmm. and we keep seeing the various members of the league from the movie, and then uh, you see Commissioner Gordon turn on the bat signal, except it's not the bat signal, it's the Larry signal, mm-hmm. and it's like just a giant Larry David in the sky, and we see Larry laying in his bed reading, and he looks up and he goes, eh. <laughs> I'm not gonna. <laughs> And then the phone rings, and he goes, turn the light off, I'm not going. <laughs> and then presumably Gordon just turns it immediately off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this this season of Curb Your Enthusiasm is fantastic. I love that show. I'm a huge fan of, of Larry David. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, I, that was a lot of fun for me. And uh, much as you say for people who didn't like BBS, I'm sorry you couldn't enjoy it, Jason. I <laughs> I don't have any hate for it any of his products it's not a matter of any it just doesn't affect me in a way i, I don't know i don't know how to describe it there's a, like an ennui when i'm watching <laughs> some of his stuff from like yeah and the funny part is you've done this to me before where you've shown me scripts from seinfeld and i looked at him and literally uh-huh. laughed reading them and then kind of handed yeah. you the book back and was like i don't know i've seen that episode before but on i'll laugh i laughed at the script i didn't laugh when i watched it i don't know what to tell you so weird. It is. I don't have. I. I don't. I can't justify all of my actions, and this is one of them. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, our friend Brandon does the same thing. Where like I'll tell him a bit, and he'll he'll laugh his butt off. Mm-hmm. But then, but if don't you, you know, actually watch it, like, nah, I don't care to watch it. You know. Yeah. He he's like, I don't know. It's funny. It's funny ideas. It's funny writing. I just I hate everybody involved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jason Momoa uh, has. Uh, acquiesced to the internet and admitted that well or said that he is aware that his uh quote-unquote trident in justice league is an actual trident he says it's a it's a quindent um um, he says we don't call it that in the movie and when you watch aquaman you're going to see him go for the trident so everyone's just got to stay tuned for a hot minute oh nice apparently the quindent is on loan from uh to him from mira and uh He's not the king yet, so he doesn't get the trident. Gotcha. But he does get a pitchfork, as uh, Batman yeah. calls it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, now, Henry Cavill was talking about Justice League. He says, I'm not going to say it's light, because that would be doing it an injustice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it has a serious scenario with moments of humor and lightness peppered throughout, which, as much as people say, it isn't close to reality, and as much as this does have senses of very much not being like reality, when people are in bad situations, gallows humor does come into effect. I know a lot of guys in the armed forces, and a lot of them have a really bizarre sense of humor, and it gets you through, and we have those. We have those in this movie. I'm fine with that. Yeah. It sounds good. I dig gallows humor. It is. I, I heard it. I get through my entire day. I'm not even in the armed forces. And yet, somehow, yeah. I enjoy that, uh, what they call it, droll. Hmm. I, uh, I even heard about a story the other day from uh, somebody who they had PTSD leaving four tours of duty overseas. Uh-huh. And in one particular occasion, uh, his entire platoon came under attack. Um, several several men lost. He never mentally got back from that moment. But the people around him 
actually said that he was pretty funny because like, he was cracking jokes. Like that's one of the things they really remembered is like he's, he was cracking jokes the whole time. Like while he was while he was organizing and planning and, and, and getting us out of there, he was cracking jokes. But he didn't remember a single thing he said. Hmm. Just weird. But it is a very human instinct is my point. Yeah. So, uh, apparently Barry Allen isn't the Flash in the Justice League. <laughs> He's not the Flash in movies anymore, I guess, either. So, they're in movie titles. He, so. Well, he doesn't... Yeah, he doesn't know what he's called yet, apparently. Uh, Ezra Miller says, Barry is just Barry. There's even a scene that was cut from the movie where he's going on and on about it. <laughs> about what God, he's I hope called. that at least shows up in a special... I would love to see him doing yeah. that. He says, why don't I have a why name? Was that scene why, cut? All that stuff? Yeah. He was like, why was that scene cut from the movie? But yeah, he's going on and on trying to figure out who he should be and what he should call himself. So yeah, he doesn't have a superhero name yet. Um, which is fine. It, it is fine, fine, but I want I hope that better be on the deleted scenes. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, we went through a whole season of The Flash without him having a name. So sure, <laughs> I we um, went through what nine seasons of Smallville. Yeah, ten. S- like it, it, what was it like seven or eight years in before they started calling him the Blur? Uh huh. They called Barry the same thing on The Flash. Yeah, it was nice. Um. So here's the thing. A whole bunch of clips were released. Yes, I have seen the Danny Elfman theme used in a clip. Um, I don't know how I feel about it. You would think that I would be very happy about it, but it seemed a little weird to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll ask you on on the day how that went over. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I gonna let you, to I'm gonna let you context. sit on that, ruminate for a minute, then yeah, yeah. Then we'll 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 get back to you. Um. So yeah, uh, I need to see it in context. Yeah. But there is, um, there's a whole lot of clips out there. We're not talking about them all because they get really pretty spoilery. Not really as far as like in depth, but you know, a lot of cool little character moments and fun things that are happening. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't necessarily mind watching those before the movie. I um, I do. And that's why I appreciate the fact that we don't really talk about them is like, yep, that's why we're not talking about yeah. it. Yeah. I, I mean, really, cause I know I'm not alone. Like there, there are people like me that just want to go into a movie with as little information as possible as it relates to what is actually going to happen during the movie. Like, mm-hmm. there's always going to be a couple of big reveals that I have to avoid, and that's fine. I mean, I know that. But even like the subtle little moments where, like, you know, the old thing about like a joke's not funny the second time you hear it. So every time you see a trailer and there's a joke in there, I'm like, well, okay, well, I'm not going to appreciate that as much when it gets around. There's just a like a depleting effect to seeing so many clips that. Um, I mean, great example was I, I saw Thor yesterday, I saw Ragnarok yesterday, uh-huh. and I, I'm just saying this because it's fresh in my mind, but yeah, there were a couple clips from the trailers that I kept watching for the entire time, knowing, well, I haven't seen this moment, so this must have to happen later, and blah, 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 and like, I, mm-hmm. I don't like to have to sit there and do that kind of narrative math. I, I just want to watch the yeah, movie. Yeah, especially when it's like... Especially when it's like Suicide Squad and those moments never come. There, I, I, <laughs> I actually think there's one in Ragnarok that I didn't see. I wanted to run over it with you when you go see it later. Let me know. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I was gonna, I'll be watching it Wednesday. I was gonna have a huddle with you about like, did they not use this one part? Did I just miss it? I did go to the bathroom at some point. Well, yeah, but yeah, we'll and we will. We've been asked several times if we'll do if we're gonna be doing a, a review for Ragnarok, and we will. It'll be in. I don't know, probably a post-credits in a couple weeks. That's about right. All right, so moving on to Aquaman. Uh, Jason Momoa was talking about uh, 
how Zach brought him in. He says he definitely wanted this outlaw Josie Wales. He wanted someone that wasn't accepted in Atlantis, wasn't accepted on land. He really was this outsider and lived on the fringes of society. We talked about him just being raised with his father, this blue-collar worker. His father was a lighthouse keeper, but I probably worked on oil rigs. I'd be underwater and I could just rip the rig off and just weld. That would explain the whole he saved Superman and Man of Steel. That actually would be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Momoa says, and that was when I was alone. There's people that I would save, that I could save, and there's people that I couldn't. The human side of me is that heartbreak of me, uh, sorry, that heartbreak of he couldn't save someone, not knowing what to do with these powers. He was a drinker. He just downed that emotion. He couldn't ever get that out. You're going to see that I really wanted him to be that gruff thing, because he has to become king. If Justice League is like seeing him at his lowest, and not just his lowest, but his loneliness that I wanted about him... So when we get to Aquaman, you know why he became that and how he had been put in that lonely spot and how he has to bring these two worlds together because you're going to see this ocean world, which we just pollute, and how do these people feel underwater with that, uh, with what the land does to the ocean and this war that is going to come between the two. And I'm the only one that can link the two. He has to do it. He doesn't want to do it. And then talking about the tone of the Aquaman movie, he says... Uh, and the story, we're going to see a couple of different younger versions of me, and even before I was born, so you'll know where my mother came from, Atlantis. We've got to establish seven different kingdoms and the threat. Surpassing Justice League, this moment in time is his call to become king. The only thing that can save Atlantis is me fighting my own brother. There's a big battle, and there's an epic fight. It's also a big road mo- a road movie because we travel all over the world. It's got that Star Wars quality of gigantic ships and guys riding sharks. I don't remember guys riding sharks in Star Wars, Jason. <laughs> it's got to be this whole Not world you've one. never seen now, before. There was there was a search for a well in Star Trek, if that's what he's trying to remember. But <laughs> don't recall that. <laughs> Uh, you're going to see him start as this guy who probably rides bikes, works on cars. You get to see him this one day, uh, this one way as kind of a dirty, dark drunkard, and then turn into this regal king. I'm down for all that, man. Yeah. Um, by the way, I, I I meant to mention this to you earlier. Star Trek reminded me. I had a guy come into work today, and I uh-huh. asked him for the name on a project he was working on, and he said, Tribble. He said, yeah, I know that's not a, it's not a very popular name. And I actually kind of smirked and went, well, in some places that is overpopular. Uh-huh. He didn't understand what I was talking about. But it made me laugh. That's funny. Oh, man. All right. So, <laughs> Variety is reporting that uh, Asher Angel has been cast as the young Billy Batson in Shazam. Uh, this is a kid who is on the uh, Disney Channel show Andy Mack. I've never seen it. No. Never heard of it. Don't know of it. Um, Sandberg posted a picture of it, though. Uh, posted a picture of um, Zachary Levi with a comparison photo of the kid. It actually, this works for me. Yeah, he looks the part, yeah. right? Yeah, this works for me. Um, now, you know, he Sandberg has been posting all these things on Instagram of the, the Coke can tower. The, the, the tower of Coke Zeros. The one that, as I'm looking and at it, is a, still in the background. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Well, a couple days ago, he released a a video, a slow motion video of uh, a Black Adam action figure flying into the Tower of Coke cans Mm. and toppling them. 
Nice. And then in the background, like it cuts to like normal speed and you hear somebody in the background go, oh no! And then a girl go, he meant to do it. He did it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> but the caption said, day 49, last day at the LA office. Aww. So that was wrapping So that was up. how they did that? You might as well have torn it down. Yeah. They don't sell Coke Zero anymore, I think, properly. Mm. There's been a change. I don't know. I don't know for sure. Don't drink the stuff myself. I thought they were changing to like Coke Zero Sugar or something. I don't know. There was some brand no. some branding idea that. <sighs> yeah, you know how it goes. they were like, "Oh, sex sells." We'll just call it Coke O. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's this over here? It's Coke Penis. <laughs> and the product to its right? Do I have to say it? It's, it's Coke Coke Vagina. Why? Why do you, is that not clear? Do we need to reshape the can? <laughs> and finally, Coke can. <laughs> yeah. Coke fanny. Um anyway. That was awesome. <sighs> I feel bad about who we are. Nah, only sometimes. I this isn't an occasion that's gonna invoke regret. I have to reserve that for specific moments. <laughs> Well, it does make me feel better about myself that I'm. I only feel bad about this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good to know where your line is. <laughs> yeah, that's my line. Yeah. <laughs> I said some dodgy stuff. <laughs> I don't know what yours is. I don't want to know what yours is. I don't either, because I've never really found it. I've had my moments of a, a tinge of regret here and there, but I've never really found a moment where I said something and went. Mm. <laughs> You've had a tinge of regret. Like, hmm, that seems, in hindsight, that seems a bit untoward. Yeah, I, I've had on. moments like that, but I've never really thought, oh, <laughs> my own appreciation of me as a person has been seriously hurt. I've never... <laughs> and I wonder what it would take to do that. But <laughs> Between uh, my ego and my, I'll call it, elastic sense of morals. We haven't found that that crossroads. Oh, moving on. Uh, Grace Fulton is in apparently in talks, uh, according to reports, to join Shazam. Grace Fulton is the uh, is is a girl that starred in uh, Annabelle Creation, which was a Sandberg film. So that that makes sense. Sure. Uh, I haven't heard anything about who she might play though. So uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, but this is exciting though. Mark Strong is apparently in talks to play Dr. Savannah in Shazam. Mark Strong. Oh, um, Green Lantern? Sinestro. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There were problems with that movie. He wasn't among them. (laughs) You're not wrong. I was perfectly on board. Like, I'm okay, you know, you know, I'll get, I'll get, uh, lambasted for this. Bombasted. I'll get lambasted for this, (laughs) but... You know, I don't think Green Lantern was bad enough to keep out of that ECU. Just, just bring it back. Just, I, just slip it right in. Honestly, I, I think you could probably incorporate. I think it has at least as much respect as say that first Hulk film. Yeah, I mean the the Norton just do like one, a not soft the, reboot. The bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't even remember who that guy was. Um, Eric Bana. Eric Bana. Thank you. And uh, I, I think his was the Hulk, and the one that stuck. I say with quotations in my hands, was the Incredible Hulk. Uh-huh. Is that right? That's right. Um, yeah. 
I, I don't, I mean, I don't think Green Lantern would be any more embarrassing a property than the Incredible Hulk is to the MCU. Right. Because, like, there are people who make worst of lists that I, I swear just forget that that's part of it and just go ahead and put Thor 2 mm-hmm. Dark World right there. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Unfair for many reasons, but we'll go into that some other time. I blame Kat Dennings. Mm. <laughs> I really don't. I, I don't like her at all, but. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, get, you gotta have somebody. You gotta have somebody to pin it on. It's the nature of it. Well, you know, I don't want to pin it on Christopher Eccleston. I felt like he was criminally underused in that movie. Yeah, as I've said before, I feel like I said that last week too. Feels wrong with me. Anyway, possible. Uh, we do that all the time. Yeah, I know. So uh, this kid from Stranger Things, this Dacre Montgomery, posted a picture of Nightwing, uh, needlessly uh, causing a stir. Um, and now he's, he actually put it on, not only, not only on his Twitter, but also on his Instagram. He's removed both posts now. They've been deleted, which means somebody got to him. And, um, Chris McKay, who I would like to point out, his Twitter avatar is of Nightwing. The director of Nightwing has, a, has Nightwing as his avatar, which is appropriate. He says, mm-hmm. we haven't started the process of casting Nightwing yet, but when we do, you'll hear something because our search will be far and wide. I wonder if they had, like, they had actually talked about casting that kid, and then he did that shit, and they were like, we can't trust you. Yeah, God. we're gonna, if you can't make <laughs> it through this part of the NDA. Oh my. <laughs> yep. The troubles we'll see upcoming. <laughs> anyway. Hey, so that, uh, asshole who, who wrote, <laughs> who wrote the, uh, Wall Street Journal thing earlier about how justice league is too mainstream um also uh said on twitter that um flashpoint that his sources say that flashpoint is close to having a director actually it wasn't even his sources he said toby emmerich said it toby emmerich mm. so all right it's a damn fine source yeah we'll see though all right well uh that's gonna do it for our movie news now uh you know if you don't keep up with the shows or you're you're behind i mean shoot dude i'm i'm behind on the TV shows, I'm, I haven't watched anything last week, except for Gotham and Lucifer. But if you're behind, you don't want to hear this next segment because we're getting into the DC TV news. Uh, then I will simply tell you: remember to subscribe to us uh, on uh, iTunes or wherever you um, listen to your podcasts. Uh, and you can hit us up on Twitter and uh, Facebook. Actually, this is the last news episode we're going to be doing. Um, until, um, well, we're not going to be doing one next week. We're just going to be going straight to Justice League. So this is the last one until Justice League, and then we'll have a news episode that following, uh, Tuesday drop. Right. Um, so yeah, and that should be the, that should be the one with the Thor Ragnarok, um, review, uh, in the stinger. Yeah. But, um, it there. when we do the Justice League, uh, review, we are going to, we're going to try something a little different, a little new for us. And we're going to be, uh, as we're recording it, to put it up into the feed, we're going to be uh, doing it Facebook Live. So, um, For better or worse. For better or worse, God help us. And uh, if you would like to, to be privy to that, uh, you know, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, I'll put out, uh, you know, a tweet letting you guys know we're about to go live. And then I think there's probably some, you know, push notification mechanism on Facebook for it. But go like the page, DC on screen. Anyway. Uh, getting over into DC TV, uh, something that's annoyed me now, Gotham has now recast Poison Ivy again, 
Um, Peyton List is the new and, quote, dangerous poison ivy. Uh, the producers say in the continuing evolution of poison ivy's origin story, ivy pepper has been transformed once again, taking another step toward becoming the ivy we know from the comics, dangerous, a live wire of crazy energy. She'll set her sights on Gotham, intent on making the city her own green paradise. Um, now, th- if you uh, watch The Flash, you know her as Golden Glider. Mm-hmm. So uh, there is that. I first learned about her on CW's The Tomorrow People. Oh. It's the first time I ran across uh, so the actors. Maggie Geha, who just uh, who was playing uh, Ivy up until this point, uh, t- having taken over from Claire Foley, um, on her uh, Instagram said, uh, as Claire Foley once said, peace Gotham, best of luck to the new Ivy. So mm. I'm, I'm sad to see uh, Maggie go. I had really uh, grown to like her. Honestly, so yeah, she had she she'd gone she was there. Fun. The like, I have a problem with this for several reasons. Uh, a lot of obvious ones. Like, why are we why are we doing this? Why are we still recasting this character? Now, the producers' clarification that there is some in-story version of why this is necessary is it's better, and I actually strangely prefer they do it to the same character twice than spread it around because I would start to feel like, well, when are you going to recast him? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, is is, is Donald Lowe going to be there the whole time? Or are you going to decide he gets touched by some uh, some mutant somewhere? I don't. I, what, what, I mean. Yeah, it's nice to have it confined in a way, I suppose. But it's still like, we, come on, man. Let, let's let's focus on this character and make. You it know what character. I kind of want to do? I kind of want to do like a, a a modern version. You remember the show Soap? Oh God, no! But that sounds familiar. It was a. It's where Benson came from. It, Benson was a spinoff of Soap and. Uh, the uh, it was basically a show where it was like a soap opera, but it was a comedy. It was mm-hmm. like where Billy Crystal pretty much got his start. Um, it's a pretty fantastic show. Whereas like every like they would do like a previously on soap, and then like they would just give you like a whole laundry list of ridiculous antics and and just not so plot points mm-hmm. that happened in the previous episode. And then like the announcer would go, "Confused? You won't be after this episode of soap." Um, and it was just ridiculous Good and trick. hilarious. Um, I would love to do more of a, a modern take of that, but also throw in the, the soap opera trope of just randomly recasting people. Just like you tune into an episode and maybe the previously on, they've like, you know, they don't really, they don't really do previously ons on soap operas, I don't think anymore, but, or at all, ever. But, uh, you know, just do like the previously on, but have, uh, you know, <laughs> someone else have has recorded like the scenes that another actor did on the show mm-hmm. and just like the only reason you even know like that and you're like oh this is ethan like it's just like like everyone on the show calls him ethan that first episode so you know that it's ethan <laughs> oh yeah over exposition the whole thing but just make it a joke an ongoing joke in the show i don't know anyway moving on nice i can deal with that uh Michael Cerveris. Cerveris. Cerveris? I don't know. I just wanted to sound confident. (laughs) In the event that I'm right, that would have sounded great, right? All right. Michael Cervix talked to (laughs) CBR.com. Might as well. About his Professor Pig run on Gotham. They asked him specifically about Grant Morrison's description of Pig as one of the weirdest, most insane characters that has ever been in Batman. His response, I remember reading that statement when I was preparing for the role. I went and bought all of the Grant Morrison comics and all the others Pig appeared in. 
I knew that uh, I knew that was the bar we were hoping to clear, and that fans would be expecting to see something like that. I have to say, at every level, I've been amazed to see how the Gotham team have met or exceeded that exceeded that challenge. I kept saying to the producers, directors, and writers, "Are you sure you can do this on network television? This is on at 8 p.m. Are you sure I can do this?" They were like, "Yep, that's what we do here." Which I, I wonder if that's yep. We've seen the ratings. Nobody's watching. <laughs> that's not true. Their their ratings are still. I know. They're still chilling. They're not in any real danger of not being renewed right now. Well, I did like the, the real truth uh, was like yeah we're you're old S and P has changed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that that's a lot to do with it probably. Also, yeah. this guy's like got a lot of um, stage credit. He's not necessarily used to that. Yeah, he's actually doing a pretty cool job. I've I'm enjoying this uh, season of Gotham for the most part. I, yeah, I, I really am. I I've been pretty pleased with it, and uh, I like where he's going. I I yeah. when they announced that they were going to bring that character on, it was one of the least interesting things I've ever heard. And so help me, he's compelling so far. So you know, no. Are you caught up on Gotham? Yeah. Oh my gosh, this last episode we're like uh, in the narrows? penguin just like. Yeah, yeah, it was like penguin or just like, or whatever. yeah, whatever it was. Yeah, penguins like stabs the shit out of uh, um, headhunter mm-hmm. and, and stabs him again. He goes, "The second one's my signature." I was just mm-hmm. saying, yeah, I love penguins so much. I had a moment where I was like, "Oh, <laughs> welcome back, buddy." I was like sad because I was like, "Ruthless tuna loving son of a bitch." Uh, <laughs> I've missed you. I I really enjoyed headhunter, and I kind of wanted to see more of his interaction with penguin. But that was pretty great. That was pretty great. That's a great way to go. <laughs> As Lonesome Dove would have said, he died good. And his his interaction with the little girl was fantastic. Just the constant moving of the little girl at the orphanage. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. Yeah, I really Robin have Lord enjoyed. Just I have enjoyed it. Gotham so far. He he's never not been killing it, man. I feel yeah, like every really... now and then they put him in a situation where it's it's too extreme one way or the other. But um. So like every now and then, every now and then I think like, ah, oh, that's such an over the top moment. But I never want to blame him because he plays it with this intensity level that yeah. you just got to love, man. This guy could be eating a piece of toast and I would be like, what is going to happen to that toast? Is he going to betray <laughs> that toast? It's funny you mentioned eating because like a couple of weeks ago when he, uh, when he ate that, uh, that soup or whatever. Dude, he killed it. He killed that scene. Like <laughs> the tears in his eyes, the reaction to his mother's recipe. The oh yeah, and then like the the um the sudden inescapable rage that she must have tricked him somehow. Oh my gosh, that was great. That was good. He's he's it's been fun, he's been really entertaining the entire time. I've I've really loved his penguin man, and it, and it's fun watching Sophia Falcone like break down penguin and like just. Ah, it's she's good. She's a good actress. Give me two weeks, you know, and he'll. I'm digging her. Yeah. All right. Well, I think they got the right parts out of the long Halloween, at least. Oh yeah. Uh, Moving on over to Supergirl, though. uh, Let's talk about the. Have have you seen this new rain costume? I have. I'm. Looks kind of awful. I'm I'm half and half (laughs) on it. Um, I actually like the bottom half a lot. Like the um, I say bottom half. Neck down, I like it a lot. It looks cool. It okay. just the mask it, is a little weird. The mask is a little weird, is all. But I still, not, like you said, I'm not sure about the the pony or the unicorn horn hanging from her shoulder. It's a little weird. That's a little odd, sure. <laughs> but I also think like Shazam's cape off, being off shift is, is is a little weird. So 
don't know. I, like uh-huh. asymmetry to some extent doesn't kill me, but uh, like I like I like the design. I like the whole like skull inside the the uh, crest. <coughs> it's just that that uh looks a little weird up top. And I get what they were going for because it does kind of look. I don't know. It it, it has. You can tell it's inspired by the comic book design. Well, it, a little bit. It does bit. look off. They just they wanted to like frame that like uh, uh, orbital structure, whatever the whatever the thing is between your eyebrows and your cheeks, whatever part of your skeleton that is. Like they they wanted to kind of frame that and that. that it, I get it, but well, in the end, the headpiece looked weird. That's what it amounted to for me. It was like I get what you're going for, but why does she need a headpiece? Uh, yeah, honestly, I was really hoping they would go less the "Hey, here's a an evil Supergirl," which I that never even occurred to me. Like when I actually saw the picture, I went, "Well, that's a mistake." Because in the comics, she actually looked like a female Doomsday in a lot of ways. Yes, I agree. So they should have done that, <laughs> and that that would have worked. I, I I don't mind her looking like an evil Supergirl. That's fine. I just. Um... And I, I really, it's just everything but the head, the headgear. Everything but the headgear I was on board with. I mean, you know, I'm not saying they should necessarily put her in the, uh, in the bikini top and all, but. No, no. I, but, I was kind of looking forward to the female doomsday version of this. Yeah, you're not going to get that part. That's, uh, I'm not going to lie, man. That's disappointing as hell. Well, you know, these shows, they give and they take. They do. Anyway, uh, blah, blah, blah. Oh, Supergirl uh, cast uh, Jesse Rath as Brainiac 5 for the Legion of uh, Superheroes. Mm-hmm. Jesse Rath of Defiance. So, you know, he's uh, going to be a recurring character. According to the report, he's going to be half computer, half organic life form, as is Brainiac 5. You will use his uh, 12th level intellect to travel back in time to present day National City to assist Supergirl in battling the villain Rain. So, I'm down with that. A little more Legion. They've already, you know, cast uh, Saturn Girl. Yeah. And Kreisberg teases, someone down the road will like Kara a lot, which will be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, in the books, Brainiac 5 and Supergirl <laughs> got it on, as Chris Farley <laughs> would say. <laughs> so, that's probably who they're talking about. Mm-hmm. They're over on The Flash. Kreisberg is talking about their goals for season four. He says, my goal for the year was that people would think I got fired and they brought somebody new on. It's a nice take. Uh, He did laugh at that during the interview. He says, I think there's a public perception that might be that we really felt like we needed to make a course correction after last season. And for us, it was really just, it was really, we just don't want to keep doing the same thing that we've always done. Our goal was if the previous seasons were Raiders of the Lost Ark, this season was Last Crusade, where we were actually commenting on the silliness of the show and just wanting everybody to just have a good time and have it be funny. And right now, I think people are craving a little bit of that. It's a tough world, and having 42 minutes of just pure, unadulterated joy, I think, is something people are keen for. Maybe. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, he also talked about Wally leaving. He says a lot of times Barry had to get knocked out so Wally could save the day or Wally had to get knocked out so Barry could save the day. It's difficult having two speedsters on the show creatively and financially. That's, that's fair. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty fair. I wondered how they were going to get away with that. He also promised Wally would uh, return in episode seven. So don't despair guys. You shall return. And guess what? That's right before crossover. You'll have him in time to see him interact with everyone else. Yeah. 
So apparently the the executive producers know season five story already. According to Kevin Smith's tweet, the Flash executive producers already know where season five is going. Smith tweeted, we ate, just ate at Jerry's Deli with Andrew Kreisberg. He told me the story of next season's The Flash. I now have to stay alive one more year. <laughs> <laughs> I actually can appreciate his sentiment. Because there have been many times where I, I looked at a piece of news and saw that a show was picked up for the next year and thought, okay, well, I obviously can't die yet. No. It's like, I just keep driving more and more carefully. <laughs> yeah. I might even at some point use a seatbelt. I'm not sure yet. I don't want to get... Right. We'll see. It's on It's on the table. Now, apparently the uh, EPs of The Flash have wanted to bring in the elongated man for a while. But we're waiting for the right time. Uh, they could use the character to create a certain dynamic within the show, according to Andrew Kreisberg. He told TV Line, "We really wanted to bring somebody in and have it feel like somebody, sorry, like something new and different, and something you didn't, something you hadn't seen. Sorry, a hmm. lot of on television, and not just his skill set, but also that character. Shows that have seven years or eight years or nine years, they always have that new character come at around season three or four or five that helps take you through their way." Obviously, they're not similar characters, but I'm thinking about Faith on Buffy. That was sort of our hope for Ralph. That's fine. I, you know, I am not a fan of Faith on Buffy, but you know, like they said, not similar characters. So I think we'll, I'll give it a shot. I, I do like Faith on Buffy. I, like, like not the first year she was there, but she developed in a way like a lot of characters in in the Buffy universe. Like she developed in a way that I appreciated. I, I wouldn't mind if, if they spent that much time on this kind of character. Mm. But I like what he's going for. Is like there's another investigator in the mix, and there's another person with powers in the mix, and we got to see how this dynamic plays out. Yeah. And they're doing it with somebody they can toss away rather than trying to change Wally's character completely. Right. I think it's fine. Yeah, fun. never... Never cared for Faith too much. I liked some of the some of the character stuff later on, but you know that you know five Honest- by five B. Ugh, shut yeah. up. Yeah, that got a little weird. <laughs> but honestly, like first half, eh. Second half, good. Yeah, that's about uh, how I would describe like her her portrayal on that show. Yeah, like you know, once they like break her out of prison and she's like trying to like shoot Angel or whatever with cross or uh, Angelus with crossbows and stuff and mm-hmm. like Angel and. He's like catching the arrows and shit. That was badass. I was like, yeah, yeah. That was that was a big boy scene. No matter how you cut it, absolutely. Anyway, uh, over to Legends. Uh, a new set picture shows a monitor with footage of Matt Ryan's Constantine talking to Brandon Routh's Ray Palmer. Uh, normally, we don't comment on set pics uh, for various reasons, uh, but it's just so exciting to see the Hellblazer back in costume. Uh, just couldn't be helped. Yay! Yeah, that was really the reason. We had to just mention it so Jason would have a chance for, to squeal. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I grinned ear to ear, man. Sorry. Yeah. Just seeing him there. I'll try to stay in the mindset, buddy. Try to stay in the mindset. <laughs> that was Wentworth Miller posted, uh, currently shooting some of my final episodes as Captain Cold slash Leonard Snart on CW's Legends of Tomorrow and The Flash. Uh, this was on his Instagram. He says, grateful now and in advance to a pair of talented cast and hardworking crews. Thank you. I've had a tremendous time playing this character. It's been an opportunity and education and a freaking blast. Um, with love and respect, WM Wentworth Miller. Um, I was not 
aware that his time was coming to a close this quickly. No, that hit me pretty uh, abruptly. I saw that just before we started recording and thought, oh. Yeah, I'm pretty sad about all that. And by just before, I mean like seconds before. Yeah. (laughs) I saw it seconds before and added it. Um, Yep. Yeah, sad. Sad day. It is. We will miss you, Wentworth. They're like, Wentworth, you're not coming back? And he was like, I said we put two on the back of the head and call it a day. (laughs) (laughs) Still the best part of Legends of Tomorrow ever. (laughs) I'm just still glad you... just is. I'm just still glad you get to use that line. You loved it so much. I know. (laughs) Over on Arrow, uh, apparently, uh, well, David Ramsey was talking to S. Diggle. For those who don't keep up with their real names, was talking to TV line about Richard Dragon. He says, I almost said something that would give it away, but Ricardo Diaz ends up being someone very important to Diggle specifically. His thread plays out on a relationship with Diggle particularly. And he also uh, confirmed his length of time on Green, uh, as being at Green Arrow. He says when asked about how and when he personally was told that Diggle was using to get uh, his hand under control, David Ramsey told TV Insider, well, you find that out near the end of the arc. I want to say it's a five-episode arc. So right around the end of this Arrow run uh, is around the same time you find out what is happening, and you've already seen some of the characters that will be kind of instrumental in his story. He added, concerning the crossover, by the time you see the crossover, we've dealt with this issue. But John Diggle's in the crossover. The team is in the crossover. So we get back to some of the sense of normalcy by the time this all plays out. So apparently you've only uh, got also, like what three episodes more of yeah Arrow Diggle. He says I think it's uh, I'm talking about Diggle's drug use. He says I think it's great for John Diggle, who's always been kind of a bastion of integrity and morality. Has he? You can't tell her the truth, Oliver. She'll never forgive you. There's a lot of <laughs> white lie philosophizing, but overall his point is valid. No, yeah. yeah. Uh, Diggle, who's always kind of a bastion of integrity and morality, but now he's taking drugs to continue the mission of the team, and we're going to see that this becomes less of a moral question about his need for the drug, this performance-enhancing drug, but it also, but it becomes about his lust for it, and to continue the mission, it becomes tunnel vision, and the team and mission gets compromised because of it. He adds, we just go deeper into the pit of where he is with this drug, that and his need for it to continue to perform at the level he's performing at. There's more of Diggle missing the moral mark than he's so prone to always hit. Now, in a separate interview with TV Insider, he got more specific. He says, you know, it's going to be less of him feeling guilty and more, I have to have the drug, I have to have the drug, I have to keep the charade up in order for the missions to be successful. So that means I must have the drug. I don't say, I don't want to say it's an addiction story. This isn't Lance. <laughs> I love that he just throws that out there. Yeah, this isn't the struggle that Lance has had and continues to have, and Laurel had, which is a very important story. Uh, so this isn't. Let's now talk about drug and substance abuse. It's not that. This story is framed in such a way that it is meant to illuminate the fact that you're looking at John Diggle, you've seen before, in a sense that his morality and his moral compass has been compromised, and to that extent, the drug he is secretly using is used to facilitate that. Uh, and then finally, in an interview with TV Line, he says there will this will have a ripple effect that will be felt throughout the first part of the season. Uh, so yeah, it just sounds exactly what I was didn't want it to be. Well, the the liberating part for me is that he specifically mentions we're not doing Lance and Laurel. Uh huh. Now Laurel, except for all the parts where they are. Well, not necessarily. <laughs> all we know right now 
is is what seven seconds of footage of him injecting himself in a dark alley, mm-hmm. uh, in a clandestine which is, which is, meeting. Which is where one injects oneself. Yeah, <laughs> it's clearly the best place. But the thing I really like about it is. I think they've done a pretty well fleshed out story with Lance's addiction problems, but with Laurel's, it's uh-huh. been it it hasn't been it hasn't done justice to that problem. Let me put it that way. Right. That it's it's been kind of a shortened, like a bridged version that hasn't really fleshed out an addiction problem like it should be. So like it, I I would pray that they don't do another Laurel story like that because oh my god, don't do that again. By the way, you know what? I I read something this week mm-hmm. um, that the type of wine that Laurel kept drinking was uh, Pinot Noir, mm-hmm. and which means About black 9%. pine cone. Oh, yeah. nice. <laughs> which which means uh, yeah, which means uh, black pine cone. But the only place that one of the only places in America that you can that it's made is Canary Hill. So that was their way of doing black canary. Well, fantastic as that is. <laughs> Which that is makes me like it to me all now about 1% the more. best part of that storyline <laughs> is that Easter egg. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I would like to meet <laughs> the poor writer or intern that hooked that up. For God's sake, we should probably try to track that person down and just say, will you talk to us? How did you manage to contribute something beautiful to this storyline that was not? <laughs> And they'll be like, I can't really talk about that. Mm-hmm. Like, well, what kind of cereal do you like? Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like Laurel's storyline was just just a bit weak. It didn't it didn't flesh out the problem. It didn't. It just I don't know. It, it we've gone into it before, but it it, it was mm-hmm. weak in a lot of in a lot of ways. And Lance's at least has uh, addressed the problem. I don't know a little more comprehensively. I guess I'll say. Yeah. It it feels like they've given the appropriate amount of context and tribute to the fact that this is a problem and really let his character work it out. Yeah. Uh, including relapses. Uh, that's that's a very important part to me of, of portraying this kind of situation. Uh, yeah. One of the most powerful things I've seen uh, in, in regard to his, re, uh, to, to his addiction was uh, this season where we come back and he's just sitting there at the bar with those three shots in front of him. Oh, staring that at was him. a good, that was a good shot. That like, was a good oh, shot. Oh man. I know that feeling. That was a really good shot. It was actually, there was a shot. I'll, I'll never forget. Uh, Timothy Hutton, uh, the actor, um, mm-hmm. playing in a TNT product called leverage, which yeah. had enough views that I'm sure some people know what I'm talking about. Uh, he has yeah. a, he has an ongoing storyline. I mean, over several seasons, has an ongoing storyline with uh, alcoholism. And there's a point where he actually buys a an apartment whose uh, base floor is a bar. And someone describes it as the most Catholic thing they've ever seen him do. And <laughs> there's a wonderful scene where he just walks into the bar, orders a shot of single malt scotch, sniffs it puts $20 over the top of it and walks away. And like, that's what that scene reminded me of was like, just sometimes needing to be near it in a way, but having the, having the controls finally in your favor where you can walk away. Absolutely. It was, it was, it was, it was one of the more compelling scenes, but 
I didn't want to see that all. Rev- I didn't want a third Diggle story. I even heard people suggesting that Diggle's story would actually have something to do with the Roy Harper story, you know, back from the uh, Adams O'Neill run. And yeah. thought, oh, please no. <laughs> I had a similar, I had a similar thought. Like, oh, I don't want to see that. No, no, absolutely not. No, this, this is, this is a character that has a ton to offer by himself. Just let him do it. Um, you know, it was, it was the most comforting thing I saw out of all the Arrow news. Was this is not an addiction story, and he, I, I, I sure hope so. I mean, he wants it to be more of a story about I can't. Uh, well, it, it actually does remind me of like when people were suggesting, like, is that Miracruo? Is that like a version of Miracruo he's, you know, uh, putting in himself? It, that works for me. Nah, I, would, I don't want to see that either. I mean, a strain of it or something like that. Nope. I never want to hear Miracruo again. <laughs> you're never. just done. I mean, you're getting Death Struck back in like two long. episodes, but you're going to be dealing with some Miracruo language at least. Yeah, I just, I got so sick of that with Roy and with. With Deathstroke, I just, uh, yeah. I, don't, I never want to hear Mirakuru again, ever. I understand. Well, me and you are both, like, a little bit done with storylines where uh, it's some kind of drug and it takes over your mind and you can't be held accountable anymore, you know? Uh-huh. That wasn't me that shot Sarah. That wasn't me that shot the cop. That kind of crap. Like, me and you are a little bit on on the side of, can we take, like, a 15-year moratorium for this kind of story and maybe let uh-huh. it sound new again? Throw that shit in the sun along with, I did this to protect you. Yes. Or I lied, I lied to, protect, to protect, you. protect you. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Yeah. We should probably move on. Yeah, it's probably. Wendy Miracle explained why she thinks Caden James is 20 times more powerful than Snowden. As Lila Michaels described him in season five, she says, He was that way when we first heard his name in season five. He's an extraordinarily gifted hacker. Snowden has a moral angle he was taking. Caden James has that as well as the skills. He is a super genius. At that point, that's how we were thinking of him. Now, when we meet him in season six, there have been some changes. Fancy that. (laughs) He has gone through a trauma, which I won't spoil here, but we will find out about later in the year. That will make us understand why he has taken his skills to a different level and why he is so angry at Oliver and the team. About Felicity in particular, uh, she added, Yeah, he definitely views her as an equal, so that's the threat for him. In many ways, she also feels responsible for what he did in season 519. She the did. The fact that she unleashed... She did, yeah. Sorry. The fact that uh, she unleashes this terror on the world, he, uh, she feels responsible for trying to find a way to put that genie back in the bottle. I, it seems yeah. pretty obvious where they're heading with that, right? Yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean... She creates Ragman and uh, intensifies Caden James all at once. Yeah. God, I wish we had Ragman back. So much... But yeah, I do hope that Caden James winds up being sort of an anti-hero, sort of a, uh, I really want him to be a bad guy that I can, like, identify with and, like, see where he's coming from. Like, I don't want him to think, I am the bad guy. I want him to think he's the good guy in the situation. I get the feeling that that's where they're going. Yeah. But. And, you know, I, part of that is just because I love Michael Emerson and I'm pretty sure that's who he's playing. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I just I I think it's going to be part of like Felicity's grand mistake that he's part of the story, and I I don't know. I I I do want Ragman back, but some part of me hopes that it's connected now. Yeah. I don't know how you'd do it. I really don't. But I actually kind of do. And you remember like when Ragman left, it was under the like one of his last 
lines was something like, I mean, it basically he expressed, well, I'm going to look into why this isn't working right now and I'll get back to you. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we, we joked about this several times while we were doing the reviews was like, he's kind of like, it, especially when they were doing training. And you remember like, uh, Holt was getting thrown across those what, granite looking floors over and over again. And, and like, it, him and Renee are sitting there griping to each other with like a busted lip about, ah, this is intense. And like Ragman, Ragman's over in the corner hanging out with Felicity. Like, what's, what's, what's that? He just, he got a very cushy training situation. It was because, like, yeah, well, William puts on the thing. He's invincible. Um, yeah. I actually don't want that to change. I just want him to come back and be Ragman, just like yeah. he was. That's fine. I don't need him to go through training and you know, all this. I just would like him to come back. Oh. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I could deal with the training. I can deal with Oliver being like, no, you need to train. Why? Because I'm invincible. No, you need to train. You could lose your powers. Actually, that would be... Something could happen. That would be the major exception, is if if someone kind of mentioned like, all right, so yeah, last time you lost your fancy jacket, you had to leave the team. What if you actually learned how to do things? Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, so... uh, That's not news. Over to... (laughs) It is to some species... (laughs) <laughs> well played that's right um <laughs> over to the teen titans they put out a new teen titans casting call uh daniel cross male 1719 caucasian athletic street smart cocky yet charming his life has changed forever when he crosses a crime fighter and is given a new outlet for his rebellious ways recurring guest star uh, Jennifer Andrews, female, 20s, 30s, Caucasian, small town, Midwestern girl gone to Hollywood. Jennifer is a star on the rise. She comes across a doe-eyed All-American and naive in her approach to her art and her life. Uh, Jennifer emulates the classic girl-next-door actors from the 1940s and 50s, a bit Stepfordy in her thinking and appearance. Jennifer feels like a woman out of time. Recurring guest star. Caroline, female, 40s, Caucasian, forever sleepless with worry. She's the mother to a young, troubled teen, seeking a recognizable cameo, face, or name. Guest star, the messenger, male, 50s to 60s, open ethnicity, outwardly a warm and kind of presence. And kind presence, he doesn't seem the type to be <laughs> and he's kind of there. Delicious. He's kind of a presence. <laughs> Phantom stranger? Um, that actually makes sense. He's warm... listed as recurring guest stars, so outwardly warm and... <laughs> yeah kind of present yeah outwardly a warm and kind presence he doesn't seem the type to be powerful or malicious but he has the ability to turn on a dime and be the most terrifying man you've ever met seeking uh offer only names slash recognizable faces recurring guest star current speculation says they uh they may give us uh, arsenal or phantasm uh elastigirl arella and brother blood in that order um yeah now uh i don't know they they've released a trailer and I'm pretty excited about this. Scooby Doo and the gang uh will once again team up with Batman forty five years after their Hanna Barbera crossover. Here's the synopsis. Super Sleuth, Scooby-Doo, Shaggy, Fred, Daphne, and Velma join forces with the world's greatest detective, Batman, when they discover that villains from both of their respective rogues galleries have also combined efforts to terrorize the city. With Scooby Snacks in tow, the crime-fighting teams encounter classic Batman foes Joker, Catwoman, Riddler, Penguin, Scarecrow, Poison Ivy, Harley Quinn, and allies the question Aquaman, Plastic Man, Martian Manhunter, along with a bevy of Fiends from Scooby-Doo lore, Spooky, Space, Kook, Gentleman Ghost, Minor 49, actually Gentleman Ghost is from DC. Yeah, I'm pretty uh, confused Ghost about that. Clown. 
always, uh, as, sorry, as always, you won't know who the ultimate villain is until these meddling kids pull off the mask. No expenses were spared on the cast, which will include Dietrich Bader, Frank Welker, Greg Griffin, Matthew Lillard, Matthew Lillard, <laughs> Lillard can't say his name, mm-hmm. uh, Kate Micucci, is that the name? I'll stand by you. That's, that's a good try. I'll stand by your try. Kate Micucci. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I won't stand by that try. Jeff Bennett. <laughs> Jeffrey Combs, hell yeah. John DiMaggio, Nika Futterman, uh, Nicholas Guest, John Michael Higgins, Tom Kenny, Kevin Michael Richardson, Tara Strong, and Fred Tadasciusson. Fred Tadasciusson. All right. I'm going to go with that one. The straight-to-DVD release will drop January 9th of 2018. A trailer is currently available for any interested parties. I am an interested party. I've watched this trailer. It's, it's Batman the Brave and the Bold and Scooby-Doo. Yeah. It's, that's exactly what it is. I'm excited to see Batman the Brave and the Bold again, even though I'm a little bit, you know, eh. Just because this, the, Brave, the, the Brave and the Bold had such a wonderful ending. It did. I just kind of don't want any more. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm full. No, I, I don't I, need any more of this. No, I I definitely have like a a hole in my soul where that there there could definitely be shoved some more brave and the bold, but right. I uh I understand your point. Yeah, I just don't want anything to tarnish it. We've we've had too much tarnishing lately. There has been some. I'm tarnishing. looking at you, Batman and Harley Quinn. I had a similar I'm discussion at you, with Batman someone this week. <laughs> they said I enjoyed it, and I I pointed out about three things, and they kind of went. Okay, I mean, it's a bad movie, but I enjoyed it. I was, eh. yeah. I wish I was even there, but oh well. Yep. All right, so uh, into just uh, into just what Injustice Two open beta kicks off on PC today, and the full game will be released uh, on the fourteenth. That's for the PC uh, version of the game. We'll see so, if it sticks this time. Have fun with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a little bit of feedback from Nerdy Tastic. Said the Thinker looks like the J.J. Abrams version of the board, complete with lens flare and all. I love that. Not, I love that comment. Not a crazy idea. Go on. <laughs> uh, but that's that's gonna wrap it up for this episode. I think. Do you have anything else, man? I've got I've got two. Um. Oh yeah. Okay. What else you got? <clears throat> all right. So we don't normally mention Krypton, and I'll explain why here in a second. So uh, Blake Ritson. Uh, uh-huh. I'm sure he's known from things, but he's not on my radar. Uh, he'll be taking on Brainiac. Okay. In, I guess, the young version of Brainiac in Krypton's All right. uh, situation. Uh-huh. I'm not going to call it a show. I'm going to call it a situation. That makes sense in a second, I promise. All right, so Paula Malcolmson um, from Ray Donovan, a, a show that I uh-huh. don't have the HBO Go capacity to watch, has um, been added as... Superman's great grandmother. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So recast though. That's the important part. Is they they've recast it into Superman's great grandmother. Mm hmm. So here's my general point with Krypton and, and generally, if if uh, if you want us to talk about it, let us know. But they're working this thing out on like a fundamental level like, until they they get everything together. I'm just I'm gonna call it I'm gonna call it for a minute. They're, they're yeah, still you know, so in development that they're recasting a character that hasn't even like wasn't even portrayed in the pilot, or, or yeah. it's still very ragtag. So part of me feels like you know news is so sparse on it, sparse on it. Sparse. Gosh, what's wrong with me? Sparse, <laughs> sparse. What, uh, what the it, hell is that? I think you're going with sparing. 
somehow. Oh, uh, well, thank you for that leap of logic, but I don't think that's what was happening. I think I'm just stupid. I believe in you. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, uh, news is so sparse, you could say that, you know, we should probably just go ahead and cover it. And I would say that most of the time, um, I had forgotten about this bit of news, honestly, because who the hell cares, really? I mean, it's we're not. They haven't even figured out their own stuff. Yeah, we're not they there. Yet. We're not there yet. Honestly, with like with Teen Titans, uh, Black Lightning, and Krypton in particular, we're we're just at a point where like we see it, but it's got to solidify a little bit, and then then we can really talk about it. I suppose. I mean, yeah, which Teen Titans is happening a lot faster than Krypton seems to be. It, yeah, it does seem to be like cementing if you will. Let me borrow the phrase from Legends. A lot faster than the yeah. other ones. Yeah. I actually have one more if you wanted to mention it, though. What's that? What you got, man? Did you notice the, uh, did you catch the Bill Finger thing? Uh, they're naming something after him in New York or something? Uh, yeah. Uh, Is that what happened? East 192nd Street. Can't even imagine uh-huh. that, being from where we're from. And the Grand Concourse, another name that would be too big from where we're from. Uh-huh. Uh, they're gonna rename a, a, a site in Bill Finger's name. Oh, yeah, that's cool. It's not Bill Finger Street, co-created by Bob Kane. It's, it's, they're, they're, they're doing it after Bill Finger. Nice. Is there, is it just going to be called like Finger Boulevard or? I don't know. It feels like. Which will come, become, <laughs> which will become known as a much It's, yeah, <laughs> you can't place just and... use Finger and rename a street. <laughs> it's going to end poorly. <laughs> oh, Bill Finger Way. So now, boys, where we're no, we know we're opening up all the brothels. Um, uh, well, honestly, the the real name is gonna be it's it's gonna be in the Bronx, up in uh, you know uh, Upper East Side, uh, across the bridge in in Manhattan. It's gonna be Bill Finger yeah. Way. Okay. That doesn't sound any less dirty than what we were talking about, but at least he's getting credit. <laughs> right. For some reason, I feel like it should just, they should just name a community after him. Yeah. Just call him William's Finger. Mm. Like, yes, I spent the majority of my days in the summer at William's Finger. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone has who has to pass below that particular block. Uh-huh. Uh, which is, incidentally, that's uh, close to where Bob Kane was apparently living uh, when he mm-hmm. invited Bill Finger over to discuss this character, that fateful night. Uh, that hateful night? Fateful night. Did I say hateful night? <laughs> it sounded like you said hateful night. I don't think so. <laughs> I do have a requisite amount of rancor talking about Bob King. But uh-huh. it, 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 yeah. it'll be in the ready. It, it's a nice gesture, in any case. Yeah. That's cool. All right, guys. Uh, so... Uh, as I mentioned earlier, next week there will be no news. We, or well, there will be, but we won't report on it. Um, well, next said. week anyway. Um, I'll be out of pocket. I'll be out of town. We will be seeing Justice League Thursday night. We will be seeing it together, and then we'll record together, which will mean that we're probably going to sound a little weird, a little different than we normally do. Um, you shall receive a review on Friday. Also, we're going to be trying a little something different. We're going to be casting live on Facebook. As I mentioned, mm-hmm. so that might that might be a little weird, especially if we start actually getting people responding to us and we actually say something to them. That's going to be a little weird. But the audio version will still be uploaded to the feed uh, that you're currently listening to this on. So uh, you know, if you don't want to watch the live version, 
and see our ugly mugs, uh, well, that's fine. You don't have to. But um, that option will be there. Just a little something we're trying. But uh, you can find us on Twitter, DC on screen. Connect with us, like us over on Facebook, especially if you want to watch that live stream of the fa- of the Justice League review that we're going to be doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also oh. email us at dconscreen at gmail.com. Uh, if you're into voicemails or leaving voicemails, you can call us 205-259-6331. What was that O for, Jason? It's what do you need? all of, I think, 10 seconds long. Yeah, it's 10 seconds long, but I just saw the first clip promoting the crossover. Ooh. Yep, just soldiers, the heroes recognize, some fighting, and then a giant CW logo under Crisis on Earth X with, like, uh, the blue coated earth and the red coated earth in proximity huh. to one another, as would uh, be the the norm in a crisis comic. Sounds cool. I'm pretty sure we've reported that that's going to be what's happening. But the um, all right, that's out there now. Cool. Well, I'm going to go watch that and stop recording this show. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> guys, until next time, keep some DC on your screen. Thank you for listening. Bye. Our opening narration was from Dan Jurgens' The History of the DC Universe, Part 3 of 10, as featured in DC 52, Week 4. It was performed by me, David Z. Robertson. Intro music by Jason Goss and Michael Shackelford. Michael's band Future Elevators can be found on Spotify or future-elevators.com. Our introduction was performed by Eli Ophelders of Stealing the Remote, which lives on SoundCloud and can be found on iTunes and Stitcher. We're a proud member of the Giant Size Team Up Network, giantsizeteamup.com. DC On Screen is a maladjusted production. Visit maladjusted.tv for more from me and Jason, including sketch comedy and improvised web series, vlogs, parodies, and more. Are you maladjusted? Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.